Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Comeback Stories. Uh, grateful to be here with my co-host, Donnie Starkins, as always, who's remote today. But uh, I feel his energy. I feel his love from uh, across the way. Uh, we have an amazing guest with us here today, uh, a man who has uh, a brother of mine in the NFL, a six-year NFL veteran, really in the trenches, the offensive line, um, but who is now so much more than that. Uh just a, a health advocate, a, a yogi, a podcast host, a cannabis advocate. I mean, you name it. It's hard to, you know, box this guy into one particular thing. But he's a man who is really wanting to push forward into the lives of people and help them grow, help them be the most authentic selves. Um, we'd love to welcome Eben Britton to the show. Eben, thank you for being here, man. Darren, thank you so much. Donnie, thank you guys. It's uh I appreciate the invite. I love, I love, uh, I love everything you guys do. And Darren, I'm a big fan. I've been a fan since, I think since you've just exploded on the scene the last few years, man, and everything you've been doing on the field and knowing your story off the field. I think it's amazing what you've been able to do. And it's only the beginning for you, man, like able to, to watch a guy, a young guy come into himself to have the awakening that you've had during your football career, you're you're setting yourself up to do brilliant things in life beyond football. And it's super awesome to see that, man. So thank you for inviting me. And I really appreciate being here with you guys. Wow, man. Th thank you. Thank you for saying that. that wow. I don't know what to say. <laughs> you don't have to I'll, say anything. Man. You in. just keep doing your thing. Thank you. I was thinking about this because initially we were all three going to be in person. And then I was on a flight. I was on a plane. I wasn't on the flight yet, but I was on the plane about an hour and a half ago and the plane wasn't going to make it to the interview. So to Vegas. So I got off the plane, deplaned and jumped in the car and, and ran back home. But I was thinking of a couple things. If we were going to do this in person, one between your two voices, Evan and Darren's <laughs> voices. I mean, there's some pretty epic radio radio voice going on. Um, and I was also thinking about that post picture, just two really, really big dudes. And Darren and I take pictures all the time together and I always feel so, so small next to him. So the next time in person, which we will do this in person for sure, yeah. uh, we'll make that happen. But it's, dude, it's great to have you here, man. I've been following you for a while and just, um, I don't know, you speak my language and so much of your story is, is what we want to dive into here. So start us off and just tell us what was growing up for you like mm. you're gonna start with the big one <laughs> always <laughs> um i love that man thank you donnie uh, i appreciate that a lot um growing up i was born in new york city lived in brooklyn until i was 10 years old parents got divorced when i was seven my mom moved my brother and I out to Los Angeles when I was 10. Um, you know, I was, I grew up in a family of artists and athletes. And uh, I was saying this earlier, I did a podcast earlier. And it's funny to think about how so many aspects of my life are this middle way the essence of the middle way there's a great there's a great astrology book called the book of birthdays i think and it's a huge book it's got every single day it's got all the astrological signs and these really in-depth readings about all the zodiac signs and and literally a breakdown of every single day and my birthday is october 14th which is the day of moderation and that's truly been the, the essence, the spirit of my life is going through the middle way and always finding myself throughout my life. I've lived in one extreme and the other. I've lived, you know, with in, you know, with no money, I've lived with a lot of money and all always, it's always been like finding my way back to the middle. And I grew up in this family of of artists and athletes and which blessed me with a lot of gifts. I have two very holistically minded parents 
who believe food is medicine, move your body, drink plenty of water, find whatever natural means are available before going to a doctor to be prescribed some sort of medication or another. Um, both of my parents are, are artists and yogis to say the least. Uh, my mother's a master body worker. My father's an artist, a painter, um, who both have very disciplined personal practices. <clears throat> and that, that was such a gift for me as a child to watch that, you know, and simultaneously, there was a lot of darkness in my childhood, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of mental health, a lot of depression. Um, I come from a family of people who believed, who have believed that life has got to be really hard and you got to do it the hard way and it's going to be a grind. And to solve problems, we go to war. And that, that was truly a blessing as it pertains to me reaching the NFL. Sometime around there, I was seven or eight years old. My parents had been divorced. I found myself in just immense pressure. Uh, you know, my, my parents were separated. I was the oldest son. I had a little brother. He was three years younger than he is three years younger than me, Gus. Um, and so when that occurred, I really took it on my shoulders to be the the head of the household, you know, the, the alpha male of my home. And that's really, that's a lot to put on a little seven-year-old kid, you know. And I remember it was one summer in the custody agreement. Thank God it was arranged that my brother and I, we'd go up to my grandparents' house in Connecticut. We lived in Brooklyn, New York, and in the summers, we'd spend the entire summer up in Connecticut with my grandparents and my three uncles and we'd literally play sports from sunup to sundown, whatever it was. We'd go out to the park and be shooting hoops or playing football or throwing the baseball, hitting baseballs, playing golf, whatever it was. It was just sports and movies and books and this really just rich experience uh, growing up. It was so rich. It was such a blessing to be able to have that, to be able to escape that that heaviness in Brooklyn. And, you know, there were still the issues and it was still this environment of, we go to battle to solve problems. We go to war, you know, there's a lot of shit talking. There's not a lot of grace. There's not a lot of space for, you know, talk about, we don't cry over spilled milk as being, you know, <laughs> a saying that was never heard in our home, uh, you know, and, um, I remember it was one summer, I was probably eight years old, and I'm watching the news, and the Jets and the Giants in training camp come on the TV, and this seed was planted in my mind of, that's what I want to do when I grow up. That's what I'm going to do to transcend this darkness that I found myself in, this heaviness, this intense chaos that I had been grew up that I grew up in that I was groomed in that I that I lived in and my mom would never let me play football finally my freshman year of high school my mom lets me with the help of my dad I convince her to let me play and it was just like this straight line rocket ship to the moon just everything I did how I carried myself how I lived how I ate how I trained I lived and, and carried myself as though I had already made it to the NFL and everything I did, every single moment of my life was in alignment with achieving this dream of playing in the NFL. And then finally, one day when I was 21 years old, I was a redshirt junior, left early from the University of Arizona and was drafted in the second round, 39th overall by the Jags and uh, in 2009. And you know, going back to that idea of it's always got to be hard, you got to do it the hard way. You know, my football career, looking back, while it was an incredible adventure of immense highs and immense lows and achievement and success and failure and all of the stuff and such an incredible warrior's journey that I went on, my football career was essentially 
me doing everything I could to prove to the world how big and scary and to be feared I was and to validate myself as a man and to validate myself as a human being beyond just a man, you know, and to prove my worth. Um, and I destroyed myself in the process of that back surgery, shoulder surgery, torn ligaments all around my body. My appendix exploded my last year in Chicago. Um, had to have an emergency appendectomy, had back surgery that was then there was an infection in the disc after the surgery. I was paralyzed from the waist down for about six months. Basically had to one step at a time, learn how to walk again, started, you know, I, I could barely get up off the couch before I would collapse because my legs would give out underneath me. Um, you know, so dealing with all of that pain and trauma, though, it really set me up for everything I was actually destined to do with my life, everything I'm, I'm built for everything that all of these gifts that I was given throughout my, my childhood of experiencing mental anguish, alcoholism, depression, all of the things that come with the addiction, disease, and learning about who I was as a human being, as a man underneath all of that. And that took a lot of time, you know, one step at a time, baby steps, really, you know, in 20, I, so I retired in 2014 from football and it was this roller coaster ride of relief. Like Darren, you just finished the season and that was always such an immense feeling of relief when the season came to an end because <laughs> yep. you just worked so hard, no days off for like the last eight months, right? You've just been nonstop grinding, giving it everything you have, pouring blood, sweat, and tears. And maybe the season went well, maybe it didn't go well. You know, for me, I was on very few teams that we had a good season, that we had a season that really felt like a success. And I never made the playoffs when I was in the NFL, which was just, it's brutal when you're on, when you're on teams that aren't having success, it can really be brutal football in particular. Um, and, you know, so you come to the end of that season and it's just like, you could take a deep breath. You can lie that you could take a moment and take a nap, you know, like what a fucking gift that is to have a moment to just lie down and relax. <laughs> And so when it came time that, you know, I saw, I, I just knew and we can go into that. My last year in Chicago, a lot happened. Um, and we can talk about that if you guys want to. Um, but I really, it was just so clear to me that I had done everything I could possibly do in football. I'd given it everything I had. And I literally was in a meeting room watching film in Chicago looking up at myself, I had just come back from this ruptured appendix and I was starting to practice again. There were probably three games left in the season. I'm in pain from the top of my head to the, to my big toes. I've got to pop like, you know, Indocin or Cataflam just to like sit there in the chair and not to mention the Adderall or whatever it was I was taking. I'm thinking to myself, man, I have no killer instinct left. Like I used to want to step on the field and fucking kill people. I wanted to end people. I had so much rage inside of me that I wanted to, that I had to take out on other people on the field and I had none of it left. And I was watching myself on film and I'm looking at the D end that I'm blocking and I'm thinking to myself, man, I used to want to kill that guy and I have none of that left in me. That dude's my friend. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, and football is one of those games, man. If you're not, if you've got one foot in the door, you can't do it. You've got to be all in because you're going to get somebody hurt. You're going to get yourself hurt. And right then I knew, I was like, there's a thousand things I'd rather be doing right now than playing football. And I was like, that's it. That's it. That was it for me. So I came out of that season. Actually, there's a there's a documentary I'm a part of called Take Your Pills, which documents the story of how I failed the drug test for Ritalin. I was taking Adderall on a therapeutic use exemption. 
I was out of my Adderall prescription, took a guy's Ritalin one day, failed a drug test, got the letter, and sometime in mid-January, the season was over, and basically, they wouldn't let me appeal it. And I was hammered with a four-game suspension going into the next season. And it was this moment of the universe going, it's okay to be done, man. It's okay to be done. Even after like the infection in my disc, which happened my third year in Jacksonville, I had back surgery, came back. 11 weeks after surgery, I get hit with this infection in my disc, which literally paralyzes me from the waist down. Even then, I'm like, fuck it, dude. I'm going to work my ass off. I'm going to be back next year. I'm going to have a better year than I've ever had next year. You know, over and over again, just just willing my way through it. It's got to be the hard way. You know, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to do it. I'm a warrior. This is what I do. I'm going to show up on the field. I'm going to give it everything I have. I'm going to basically... I would, I would, I would die on the field. That was where I was at mentally until finally that moment in Chicago. when I thought to myself, I had nothing left to give to this game. And I knew it just, I, it was over with. Um, and so I get that letter that I'm going to be suspended for four games. And even after that, Chicago says they're not going to resign me. At that time, I'm married. I've got a four-year-old daughter. And I say to my wife, I'm like, let's just move back to L.A. I'm from, you know, it's pretty much where I grew up. Went to middle school and high school here. My mom, my brother are here. Uh, my wife's whole family was here, is here. And I'm just like, let's go back. Let's set up shop. Let's see what happens. Um so we moved back to LA. I'm still getting calls. I've got calls from like the Bills, the Falcons. They want to bring me out, want to work me out. And I'd get off these phone calls and I'd start to think about it. And when I really felt into it, it was so clear to me. I thought, I can't even get on that plane. I can't even get on that airplane. So I'm just not there anymore. I don't have that. I don't have that in me anymore. And so initially coming to that realization and having the clarity about being done with football, it's just like this immense relief, like, oh my God, wow, I'm done. You know, I'm done. And it was very clear. You know, there was nothing in me that regretted any moment of that. However, that doesn't, you, I was not prepared, even as a guy who, like I said, I have this background of artists and athletes. And even during my football career, I had this underlying vibration of being a writer in life after football. And I majored in creative writing at the University of Arizona. And even with that, always being a guy like during my football career, I mean, I'm team captain, I'm doing all the stuff. I was a, I was a, you know, I was the guy that coaches always look to, to set the example for my teammates. Even with that, I always had this thing like I'm more than this. And I came out of football and pretty quickly I was hit with the realization of I have no fucking idea who I am beyond this game. I have no fucking clue. What do I like? Who am I? Every relationship I've ever had is coming through the filter, the lens of me being the superstar athlete. Ed, what do you want to eat? What are we doing after the game? What do you want to do tomorrow? What are we going to do next week? All of it was every relationship I had, friends, family, otherwise, was all coming through the lens of me being this pro football player. And so I really had to start this painstaking process of figuring out who I was outside of that. And around 2016, it was just like my entire life was coming crashing over me in a fucking avalanche, you know, uh, everything. I didn't know how to relate to my wife. I didn't know how to relate to anybody. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I realized that I had willed my way to making millions of dollars in the NFL, never had to have a real job, never had to negotiate my own self-worth, never had to ask someone for money. <clears throat> And 
I'm just like, holy shit, how do I make money? How am I going to make money? I don't even know how to get a job. Like, I don't, I don't know anything. I know nothing. I barely know how to pay bills, I, you know? And that all culminated in watching myself scream into a phone at my wife saying, I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to kill somebody. As I got on the on-ramp onto the 170 freeway to drive to this CBD company I had started out in Chatsworth. <laughs> and from there, God bless her, um, my, my wife went to my mom and my aunt and was just in tears and said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with that anymore. I don't know what's going on with him, where he's at, how to help him. He just seems sort of, you know, in a lot of pain. And I didn't know that at the time, but by the time I got to the office, my mom called me and said, Eb, how you doing? And I said, eh, I could barely talk. I was just so choked and in pain and agony. And she said, why don't you come over for dinner? Why don't you come over for dinner, have dinner with me, your Aunt Martha, and your brother Gus? I said, okay. The next night I, I came over for dinner and my mom, my aunt, my brother, we were having dinner, just talking through everything that was going on. And, uh, you know, they basically just reminded me of our background and our family disease of alcoholism and said, Eb, you know, there are tools that, can be helpful, 12-step program in particular. Alcohol was never, the substances were never really an issue for me. It was the thinking, you know, my own thinking. I didn't have a drinking disease. I had a thinking disease. And so for me, it was going to Al-Anon. Al-Anon is for families of alcoholics. And my brother had been going to a men's meeting and He's like, yeah, why don't you come with me? Check it out. Just see what's going on. And so I went in there and the first guy just started sharing the lead, started sharing. And it was like he was saying, talking about my childhood. You know, and I went in there just cloaked in darkness and heaviness and shame and guilt. And somewhere through his share, I just started bursting into tears. And it was like, the clouds parted, the light shined through, I could breathe for the first time in, you know, a few years, maybe my, for maybe forever. And I walked out of there with the sense that there was hope, you know, there was hope back, there was hope back in my heart. And I had some faith that something bigger than me was looking out for me. And that really just started this process of me putting myself back together of finding these tools to live, live a life that's full of joy and love and compassion and connectedness and everything that I've ever wanted, you know, and it was only through really hitting rock bottom and then by the grace of God, finding or at least because at that time, I didn't really even have the ability to pick up the phone and tell anybody I was in pain, you know, but I was just blessed that I had people around me who came to me and said, Eb, we can help. And I, I just was so broken down that I was just surrendered to whatever they had to offer. Thank you for going into such great detail, man. Um, I mean, just through, I can relate to, you know, the, the pain that you've uh, faced in the league, um, just the exhaustion of, of the of the killer instinct. Uh, I feel like there's some days where I feel like I I still have it, but there are still, there are some days where I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't, I'm not, I'm not a guy that's going to bury somebody on the, over the pile and like drive their face into the dirt and like, I, I love people like I'm compassionate for people and uh, I can mm -hmm. relate to, 
to that so much. When you talk about the, like the indecent and all those things and just like how much pain you're constantly in physically and how it's there's not a day that goes by. I mean, there's a guy on the injury report. Uh, you don't even have to be on the injury report, and you'll have three things bothering you at least. And it's just like all the, all these ways of and we don't learn how to care for ourselves. We don't learn how to put ourselves first, find an identity. I feel like I'm blessed to be here because uh, I had to crash and burn uh, off of pills. Like mm. I was the addict in my life. I went to the 12 step programs because of, of me. I had to go to rehab, uh, mm. you know, and, and really be broken down and really sit there. And that gift of desperation, that gift of despair allowed me to really step away and look at Darren Waller, the person and that, serves me today because I'm now in the game and I'm like you know I'm gonna go out on my terms when my terms are and not feel uh, attached to this game I mean of course I'm gonna miss it it's it's taught me so much it's uh, exposed me to so much but at the end of the day it's not who I am and it's not what I enjoy doing the most like straight up and uh, so I'm, mm. I'm grateful for you painting that picture because I don't think a lot of people have that have a picture like this of of an athlete of an NFL player that's you know, gotten to this point and, you know, my dream was this, my goal was this, like it's so romanticized in our culture of having mm. a great goal, having a great dream of being this athlete, being all this, but it's like, what about the other side? Like, what am I, what is, what is the cost of, of, of pursuing that goal? So anybody that I'm close mm. to, I like to uh, try to challenge them as far as like, okay, like this is great, like achieve these things, but like, what is this for? What is the purpose behind the achievement? And, um, you know, it, it can just be such a dark road. It, it has been for me, and uh, I'm grateful mm. that, you know, people like you can come on here, and I'm, I'm learning from you as you spoke. I'm just soaking it all in, absorbing it, absorbing just your resilience, your uh, ability to overcome and to, and to be where you are today. It's just like, it's, it's, it's beautiful, man. Like, these are the, these are the things I want to talk about. Uh, I've, I, I probably won't ask you a football question uh, on here about, you know, the day in, the day out, the grind, this, that, and the third, like just the fact that you shared that that's a part of your story is and, and how it led you into the healing. Like, uh, and we just want to know more about your healing journey, to be honest. Like, I know there's there's plant medicine involved, you know, just the overall seeking of God. Uh, like, can you take us more into, you know, what those tools are for you today? Absolutely, man. Yeah. Um and I think that's really important, Darren. You know, it's really important what you're doing. And it's amazing to see this evolution of athletes that's happening because we are so romanticized. I mean, professional athletes, in particular, NFL football players, are like we're the demigods of modern, of the modern world. You know, um, and I believe it's super important to show people the complete picture of what that is. You know, I learned a lot. I got to do this podcast with Mike Tyson called Hot Boxing for a couple of years, and we probably did a hundred episodes and. You know, Mike is one of the most polarized figures in the world. And he's, he's Hercules of the modern era, essentially. Um, and, you know, not only was Mike such a vicious, incredible athlete, heavyweight, one of the, maybe the greatest heavyweight champion of all time. You know, he's also such a deep thinker and such a profound, has such a profound heart. I mean, getting to spend time with him, I learned so much about myself and really came to terms with a lot of myself that I wouldn't have other, otherwise recognized had it not been for coming into contact with a guy like Mike, who is this epitome, ultimate alpha male character, who is also extremely sensitive, vulnerable, and willing to share his pain. And that was really the journey we were on. You know, I was, I was in some ways shepherding him through coming to terms with a lot of his darkness and his pain. And at that time I met him like coming out of my first ayahuasca ceremony. So I'd really learned so much about myself and come into so much wholeness with myself. And then I got introduced to Mike and he was in a pretty dark place when I first met him. 
And then we were able to go on this journey together and all along the way, just like learning from each other, supporting each other, giving each other insight and feedback. And that's why it's just, that's why this matters, you know, sharing our story, sharing our pain, sharing our experiences. And really that's the only thing I've ever been interested in doing, you know, is just sharing my experiences of what I've been through, the pain, the suffering, the darkness I've experienced, and the tools that helped lift me up out of that. And essentially those tools, you know, I wrote a book, I published my first book, beginning of 2022, The Ebb and Flow, Basic Tools to Transform Your Life. And essentially it's, it's my, my story from childhood through the NFL, how I emerged from my football career completely mentally, emotionally, physically destroyed, and then the tools I used to put myself back together again. And it, there's a little bit of what I shared with you guys just a minute ago. Um, and like I said, I was, I was blessed by having two holistically minded parents. So these things, the blueprint was there. It was available to me. I just, I had forgotten a lot of it, you know? Like my mom was taking my brother and I to yoga classes from the time I was 10 years old, you know, and I did yoga for much of my football career until my back injury, essentially in the NFL. And I just, I was in so much pain. I wanted nothing to do with yoga. You know, I had a herniated disc in my back that was creating excruciating sciatic nerve pain down my right leg, making my right foot numb. And I wanted nothing to do with down dog or <laughs> anything like that, you know? So only when I was completely broken down and had to start putting myself back together again, did I go, you know, I used to do yoga. And then I found my way back to yoga in 2016, 2017. Um, and First of all, going back to Al-Anon and 12-step program, you know, that group work, 12-step programs in particular, you know, it's called a spiritual program. And there's a reason for that because it breaks down the, the, the spiritual awakening process into 12 steps. And it's super accessible. Um, and it basically has to do with recognizing coming into acceptance of where you are your life has become unmanageable the tools that have helped you survive for however long they're no longer working and your life is completely unmanageable your thinking your thoughts your emotions your relationships your behaviors have become totally unmanageable and it's not working for you anymore your life is starting to Basically, the train is coming off the tracks. So recognizing that, okay, that's happening. Great. Let's recognize that. That's okay. Then you get to recognize that there's a higher power. You don't have to believe in God. You don't have to be religious. Just recognizing that there's a higher intelligence, a higher power that's always been here. For me, I feel like as well, I'm, that's another place that I've really been blessed from the time I was a little kid, from the moment I was conscious, however long ago that was. And I feel as though, you know, I have memories that I won't, I have memories of like being in our apartment in Brooklyn and I took a dump on the floor, like that's how little I was. Like I was probably still in diapers, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was running around the apartment naked and shit on the floor. Like that's how early, that's one of my earliest memories. I must've been three, three years old, four years old, maybe at the time at the, at the oldest, probably around three or something like that. Maybe even a little younger than that. And for as long as I can remember, I knew there was like this divine guidance. There was something outside of myself that was moving me through my life and guiding me and protecting me. And so recognizing that there was a higher power wasn't that big of a stretch for me. It was actually really welcoming and nourishing for me to remember that, like, hey, I'm not alone. You know, there's something there. There's something beyond me that's got me, that's got this. 
So recognizing that. And then really it's like taking an inventory of your life, like all the shit that you've been through, all the mistakes you've made, all the harm that was done to you, all the harm you've done to others, just taking inventory of that, getting really clear on that. What's happened? Because then you can take accountability for your life. You can become accountable for your for everything you are and everything you want to be in your life, everything you have been, you become accountable in your life. That's what, that's really one of the things that modern culture is somehow it's convincing people not to be accountable, not to take accountability for their lives. And it's the fucking quintessential piece to living your life in your highest greatness is to being accountable. And that starts with being accountable to yourself. It's the number one thing. So you take accountability. Then you get to make amends. You get to make amends for all of your hurts and the damage that you've caused. You get to forgive. You get to come into forgiveness. Super powerful things. Super powerful. Because these start to fill the God hole when you start this work. You know, this really starts to fill the God hole. We're all, we've all got, somehow along the line, we get convinced that we're not enough. We need something else. That's why we take the drugs. That's why we go to the fucking strip clubs. That's why we seek out the sex. And, you know, dude, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's why we're all, we're trying to fill this hole, the food, the whatever it is, we're trying to fill this God-sized hole because we've decided or we've been convinced that we're not enough just as we are. And so you start to fill this hole with all of this good stuff with accountability, with forgiveness, with making amends. And then you get into service and you get into service and you really become of service to your life. And that, that was a big, that was an interesting realization to have for me because I come from this family, you know, and, and a very common in that type of environment, a very common misconception is to be a martyr or to self-sacrifice. Mm. And there's a big difference between self-sacrifice and being of service. Are you sacrificing mm -hmm. yourself or are you being of service in the situation and learning? And that really comes with learning to how to draw boundaries, how to, how to create boundaries in your whole life, which was another thing that was just a miraculous transition for me to realize I have no idea how to create boundaries. Just say yes to everything, get steamrolled. Then I get so pissed off, I explode on somebody because I didn't set the boundaries. I wasn't being accountable to myself. I wasn't living in integrity with myself and having the inner strength, the inner courage to set boundaries when they needed to be. Learning how to say no to things, which allows me the opportunity, which has allowed me the opportunity to be, to actually be in service in my life. So you be in service and then somehow you have this spiritual awakening all through that. It's all just part of the process. And maybe it's many spiritual awakenings along the way. And for me, it definitely has been that, you know, it's like you jump, you take that leap of faith into the unknown and you find yourself and it's a miracle and there's your life totally opens up and it becomes so big. You couldn't even possibly have imagined it could be so amazing and big and beautiful and, and, and miraculous. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, there's another leap to make and another leap to make. And you just keep making these leaps of faith into the unknown, you know, and it's uncomfortable and you're going through your fears and you're facing all the shit, all of your darkness over and over again. You're just facing it over and over again. And it becomes easier and it becomes you know, and then it comes in different forms and you're always being challenged by God, by the universe, because it's constantly happening. It's constantly moving and changing and shifting. You're constantly being challenged to face your fear, face your darkness, step into the unknown. And usually that's all it is. It's just like, oh shit, I don't know what the outcome of this might be. However, something in you is telling you that's the leap you got to take right there. That's the next step that you have to be willing to take to take your life to the next place. Um, and, you know, so the Al-Anon brought me into group therapy 
brought me into the spiritual work, this spiritual work of like I just laid out there. I started going to therapy. I was in therapy. My therapist said to me, Ed, you know, you might like meditation. You thought about meditating? And I had to laugh because I'm thinking to myself, my brother has said to me, Ed, you should meditate about a thousand times. And I've said, nah, fuck that, dude. I don't have time for that. And of course, here I am. And I just go, okay, I'll try meditating. And she turned me on to this app that doesn't exist anymore. Unfortunately, it's a great app. And I just, every morning I'd wake up, I'd wake up about five o'clock in the morning. I'd get, I'd take my dog, I'd grab my phone, I'd turn on this app, I'd put in a guided meditation, I'd just go for a walk. And every morning, little by little, I'm tapping into this infinite space, this infinite stillness inside myself, this place of immense peace and clarity. And just little by little, I'm just starting to break down all the shit. It's like just been these walls up in front of me that I've been staring up at, these thousand foot walls for my entire life. And slowly but surely, they're just starting to crumble. And I'm starting to see. I'm able to see a little bit at a time. And I can breathe. And so the meditation, it led me into breath work. And then it led me back into yoga. And then from the yoga I met, you know, all along the way, I'm meeting these people who are showing me the way. And I met some incredible mentors who brought me into plant medicine. First, it was combo, uh, which is an incredible medicine, um, which comes from the green monkey frog. It's not a psychedelic necessarily. However, it's, it's an immense purging experience. A shaman burns these holes into your skin and then spackles this frog venom in. And you have this incredible purging experience for about 15 minutes. You're throwing up everything inside of you. And it's clearing and mentally clearing. It's one of the most mental they get the world cleanse. Um, and then from there, I went into Iowa. It was another profound medicine. And, um, you know, and all along the way, I'm just picking up these pieces and learning about who I am and, Sometime in there, I'm meeting my 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 mentor, a guy named Kirk Westwood, who's an incredible dude. Really, uh, I owe a lot to Kirk for just showing me the way back to myself. And he said, Eb, you need to learn about your lineage. You need to learn about who you are because you come from a line of of mystics and shamans and witches and and people who have, this is in your blood. And I'm like, really? Literally, two days later, I get a letter from my grandmother. Her name's Estelle Parsons. She's an Academy Award-winning actress. And she says, Eb, I want to share with you about your first American ancestor, a woman named Mary Bliss Parsons. She came over to America in about 1640. She was on trial for witchcraft three times. She had 11 kids. One of them was named Eben. He was killed in a battle with Native Americans. Um... She had all these feuds. There were all these books written about her. And I started reading these books and about this woman, Mary Bliss Parsons. And she lived to be somewhere in her 80s. And I got to share this information with my mom and my aunt, who, for whatever reason, my grandmother never shared any of this with. <laughs> and it really was this very healing moment for our family because... You know, the dark side of mysticism or ancient knowledge is that if you don't have any recognition of it, the dark side of it is it turns into addiction because you go seeking God, you go seeking spirit in substances because that seems to be the only route to fill this void that you're feeling this this craving for the unseen realms for tapping into spirit essentially and so being able to give that that information to my mom and my my aunt really filled a big void for them and helped them put some pieces into to things that they had experienced in their life you know dealing with 
alcoholism and drug addiction. And my mom, God bless her, she's 40 years sober at this stage. Um, my aunt was, you know, she was on the other side. She was an Al-Anon like me. And uh, she is an Al-Anon like me. And, um, you know, it was just, it's been a very healing experience. And all I can say is that it's been a testament to me letting go of the reins and following the guidance of spirit, of my highest self, allowing that to shine through rather than fucking just willing my way through it all, just bulldozing my way through life, you know, wreaking havoc here, destroying things there, making a complete mess of my life in which of which I would have to at some point remedy and make an amends for, you know, um, I don't know if I answered any of your question, but that's a little bit of it. I think you more uh, than answered that. Yeah. <laughs> I following you for a while, I've always known that this conversation, I don't think I we've Darren, I'll maybe speak for both of us that we've never had a guest that's probably more aligned with our path, our message, and, and our mission and what you're doing. And I think about the similarities to my background, which our guests probably know they've heard Darren and I's story, but maybe you haven't heard mine. So my parents also divorced when I was seven, <clears throat> um, played college baseball at your rival at Arizona State, had a massive <sighs> surgery on my knee my sen senior year. I know. I don't even really care anymore about that rivalry <laughs> at all, either. actually. But <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I had a massive surgery and that surgery sent me down a long road of addiction. Um, the surgery mm. was what I blamed, blamed it on. You know, mm. cadaver transplant of my meniscus, my fifth surgery on my left knee, um, 80 Percocet a week for uh, a month straight. <sighs> Doctor cuts me off cold turkey. And so I'm thrusted into this world of non-baseball. And instead of having any kind of tools to deconstruct like this athlete identity, <clears throat> I didn't, when I got into rehab years later, um, I got really curious on what the fuck happened to my life. And when I got mm. honest and took ownership, like you said, and stopped blaming the doctor who screwed me over and, you know, everybody else that didn't understand, it was I didn't want to feel the emotional pain of the loss of baseball, the love of my life, the only thing I ever knew. And so that mm. ownership, um, and I'm so thankful for addiction today because it streamlined me into this process where you talked about it with yoga. Like my mom's the one that got me into yoga and she, I was dying in my addiction and she would say, you need to go to yoga. And I would say, yoga's for girls and hippies. I'm not doing that shit. And then I went <laughs> once and I knew I would do it the rest of my life. And then I became a yoga teacher and I've been teaching 10 years now. And, and so just the paths are so similar in so many ways. Um, yeah, I'm just really resonating with your story, your ability, your story. Um, and I know just this is going to be a two-part series. So maybe the the next one we can get you in person just so we can have the next 15 minutes on this session or, or so to continue talking because we're just scratching the surface right now. Thousand percent, dude. I'm there, man. I, I want to come hang with you guys in person for sure. Yeah, that'd be fire. I think the other piece is Darren, Darren and I are, you know, have this identity, especially as we started this journey um, with comeback stories of sobriety. And a year ago, you, uh, about a year ago today, I tapped into the plant medicine world and did my first psilocybin journey. And since then, I've done a couple combos, a um, couple Bufo ceremonies, a couple of those that were together. Um, heard you share your stories with combo and, um, I also enjoy the medicine of rape. Um, mm -hmm. so it's just interesting that we're able to, even like you speaking 12 steps and you really being able to explain this 12 steps better, better than I did through a different program, not involving alcohol, but being really fits cultist 2.0 sober people that came before me, friend, the Luke stories, that gave me permission mm. to do the same. So I love that we're we're diving in and talking about this and really just the transformations that it ha it's had in my life personally have been like years and years, a hundred years of therapy couldn't have gotten me what I've gotten through these medicines. 
thousand percent, man. It's really, it's profound that there's really a coming back together that occurs. You know, it's hard to explain because you're not any different. You know, before I did ayahuasca, I was like, there was a part of me that was really afraid. I was like, fuck, am I going to be even recognizable? Am I going to be the same person when I come out of there? And really what it does is it just peels away all the shit that's unnecessary and it crystallizes who you are. And it brings you into recognition and reconciliation with who you are, who you truly are. And there's a wholeness that comes with that. You know, there's this, there's a wholeness that is cultivated through those medicines that nothing else really does other than meditation, honestly. I mean, meditation, if everybody did minimum 10 minutes of meditation every morning, we'd live in a much different world, you know, but a lot of people just, you know, and I've been having this conversation with a buddy of mine uh, a lot lately. We live in a really interesting time where people are, because our perception of reality is based on the belief matrix that exists in our subconscious mind. And that belief matrix is built on all the conditioning that we've been programmed with over the last however many years since we were little kids. It's a lot of input from parents, school, authority figures, religion, society, culture, advertising, marketing, all this stuff has been taken in by our subconscious mind and we have this we literally view life through this belief matrix this matrix of belief and that dictates our perception of everything we see hear feel taste touch smell all of it comes through this belief matrix of how we perceive life to be what we think it is supposed to be and there is nothing that can obliterate that belief matrix like plant medicine like psilocybin, DMT, LSD, any of these things, they just obliterate that subconscious belief matrix because you're walking around and you're perceiving things in a very specific way that you're not even conscious of. And the only way, sorry if you guys keep hearing that dinging, I'm getting text. I, I hate that like Can't the laptops it. and the phones. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so we're going around experiencing life through this belief matrix and until the only way to tap into your subconscious essentially is to experience discomfort and to be uncomfortable and because then you get to see these triggers your triggers start to arise like that's why i'm i'm a devotee essentially of hot yoga i go and i do um, i teach it i take it bikram is is what it used to be called. I don't know what we call it anymore, but <laughs> um, it's, it's a profound practice because it's 90 minutes in a 105 degree room with 50% humidity. The moment you step into the room, you start producing stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol. Your amygdala starts firing the center of fight, flight, freeze, fix. Your amygdala starts going haywire. You get on your mat, you start doing breathing exercises, pranayama, six seconds in six seconds out you deactivate your amygdala you activate the prefrontal cortex the center of de executive decision making the godhead and you're able to cultivate resilience and space in your nervous system and so that's one pathway psychedelics plant medicine or another pathway because they literally plunge you into discomfort and yes, of course, sometimes it'll be a super blissful, beautiful, amazing, love-filled experience. However, why it works is because it plunges you into discomfort and adversity and challenge. And you have to face all of this shit, your darkness. How do you react when shit gets really heavy? Ice tubs are another great thing. Darren, I wish that I knew what I knew now and, and <laughs> when, I, when I was playing football. So... 
I just get into the ice tub up to my neck for three minutes rather than sitting up to my waist for like 15 minutes, right. which was a complete waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and so you get to go in there and you get to confront your darkness. You get, you get to confront your beliefs about who you are, what you are, how it's supposed to be, what it's got to look like, all this shit, and you get to unravel it. You get to dissolve all that shit. And you get to be really clear about what is, who you are, how do you want to spend your time. There's no greater commodity that we have than time. Beyond money, beyond anything, time. How do you want to spend your time? I don't want to spend a moment doing anything that does not enrich my life. It does not enrich and nourish my heart and soul. I just don't have time. I don't have time for it, you know? And when you get really clear, you start to recognize that. It's like, so it's like, what do you want to spend your time doing? I want to spend my time with my loved ones, with my friends. I want to spend my time doing really fucking purposeful, meaningful work. And outside of that, you know, <laughs> what else is there? Which is interesting with the meditation, which a common response is, as I also teach meditation, is I don't have time to meditate, which is, yeah. like, I get that answer because that's probably what I used to say. But it's this is what actually gives us more time because it's it all comes back to yes. what you're saying. It's awareness and having the awareness to know of where you're wasting your time. And so exactly. what meditation actually does is it gives you more time and it completely opens up your your perspective and your life because you start to see and you're aware of the things you can't control, the things that are stressing you out. And so you actually get so much time back. Thousand percent. It's such a, I mean, that's the, that's such the ultimate selling point of meditation. It's such an important point, dude. I totally agree. And uh, it has been that for me. It's like, it's like, it's like our same thinking mind. It's that those, the reason we don't want to meditate is because of the thinking, all of those, that internal negotiating. I don't have the time. I, well, the other common response is I can't meditate. My mind never stops thinking. And my mm, response is always, no does. <laughs> so you just give your mind something to focus on. Right. And so, yeah, the, the, the madness of, of the mind and what it can talk us into or out of doing is quite interesting, but it always comes down to awareness. Thousand percent, man. I love that. I totally agree. Darren, how's your, Darren, how's your meditation practice these days? Darren's pretty dedicated. I mean, he's uh, dialed into the work and the morning routines like nobody I've ever seen before. Um, I love that. Mornings, uh, I've been on 20 minutes a morning for a minute now. Uh, now the season's over, I'm like, you know, let's let's get like at least two 20 minute blocks. Why not three? Why not 60 minutes a day? Like I like there's no, there's that, nothing dude. really really stopping me right now. So um, I'm really uh, just enjoying the fact that I've been that consistent in it because there's been ebbs and flows uh, over the years. You know, I've been consistent for a large part of it, and there's some parts of it where. Uh, I'm not as I, that excuse can creep into my mind. It's like, oh man, like I'll put a time limit on my morning routine because I got to get to football or I got to get to this or I got to mm. get to that. Like, so I'm really like putting my practice, putting my daily healing and and processing and reflecting on a timer, which is you know I can't put a timer on my healing. I can't put a timer on my growth, and I feel I feel that sometimes amidst uh, trying to navigate uh, my career, but. In seasons like this, uh, it's it's just incredible to be able to sit for that long. It's just like, man, like I, like I haven't done this in a long time, sitting this consistently for this long, and uh, bringing it into the evening as well. Like it's it's really been uh, it's really been paying off for me, especially especially with this trying season that uh, just was. This is why I, it's why I fucking love you, man. You know, you're different, and even though being different used to be mm -hmm. your core wound, and now being different is your superpower that most yeah. would probably cut back on their meditation practice because a lot of people's intention of meditating would be to get good at football. Like I'm going to meditate and get focused so I can perform. 
where you understand that meditating is about getting good at life. It's not about getting good at football. So you're actually extending your practice out, which is just so beautifully said. Right. I'll be in there. If I'm not, I'll be in there taking everything personal. I'll be demanding that I get this <laughs> from these people. I get these opportunities. Y'all motherfuckers better throw me the ball this many times. And it's just like, that's no way to approach anything. Cause I'm trying to like, like everyone was saying, like impose my will on things and bulldoze my way into what, what I think will make me feel better about myself, which really will not is really just uh, an empty longing and an empty chasing for uh, things outside of me that are going to, that I think are going to make me feel better. So it's uh, whenever I come back to the, the dog fills me on that one, but um, yeah. anytime, anytime, uh, you know, that I'm not looking uh, outside of myself is really is when it's serving me the most. And uh, I've really felt it in my meditation lately. Barking on the truth. Dude, you're so far ahead, man. You're so, you're fucking light years ahead, Darren. It's amazing, man. I love that. Just keep going. It's going to be like the sky, other galaxies are not even the limit, bro. You know? And I've been meditating every day for the last, basically since 2016. So like six, seven years every day meditating. And that discipline pays so many dividends and things start to happen in your perception of reality that you couldn't even possibly imagine becoming a better listener, becoming more engaged in relationships, able to communicate yourself more clearly, you know, everything that I am here, everything that I'm able to do on any podcast or anything that I do, it's all because I've just dedicated my life to getting fucking clear. And meditation is the key element of that whole process. Because yes, the plant medicine ceremonies, the yoga, it's all good. Those are these blocks of time. You know, these are these one, these segments of experience that show me things, give me information, bring me clarity, clear out the well, so to speak. But the daily practice of getting, getting into that stillness, getting into that, that space of peace and quiet, like that shit transforms who you are. It literally transforms who you are and how you show up in the world. And there's nothing more powerful than that nowadays, man. Like we need, we need people who are engaged and present and showing up compassionately in the world, you know, especially fucking big men, mm. big alpha male men, you know, men in particular, we've been bamboozled into this, this strange idea of what masculinity is, you know? And the truth of being a king, of living in your divine masculine is being the fucking mountain, dude. You're still, you're unshakable. No matter what chaos comes your way, you're fucking unshakable. You're immovable. You can endure, you can hold the space for whatever chaos, storm, whatever comes your way, you're able to hold the structure of the universe with your presence and you do that benevolently you do that compassionately you do that lovingly and you shine a light so everywhere you go into every room you step into every place you go you're just this beacon of fucking light that people are just like they don't even know what to do because they've never seen anything like that they've never seen that combination of immense physicality with incredible inner stillness and peace and grace like it's just like it's it's perhaps the most powerful combination you could possibly imagine and that comes from having a daily practice you know it doesn't just happen you know you know dude you've been through you've been through shit you've been through hell to get to where you are right now you know and it's a testament to who you are that you keep showing up that way you keep showing up as you're explaining that, I was just looking at, you know, two big, big dudes that really embody everything that that you're 
uh, explaining right there. And it's, I mean, you can hear it, whether you're listening to this on audio or you're watching it on video. I mean, you've got some pretty two big, massive dudes that also embody this feminine quality that really balances out to be the mountain. And I think a lot of it comes back to this place of the middle ground that you talk about. I always like to say the middle ground is the holy ground, that place of mm, neutrality in the middle that. where we can, you know, not be, you know, wavered or pushed off kilter too easily, which it always all comes back to the practices, the habits yeah. and the rituals, which is like the essence of self-love and keeping yourself accountable. I think a lot of people talk about self-love and all these like, you know, pedicures and body work, but it really is comes down to accountability. It's keeping the yeah. promises you make to yourself, to your habits and your rituals, because you slip from those habits, you become so much more vulnerable to, to the noise, the internal noise and the external noise. But when you keep those promises, you become unshakable, like you're talking about. And, and, and me is, and just for context, again, like Darren and I, I started as Darren's coach and we became just really close friends and started this podcast. And, um, but I look at him and just so fucking consistent with the work in his journal and his notebook that if you're again, just listening, you can see it like always taking notes and dialed into his practices and hearing you and your words and how you explain, this is a direct reflection to the dedication to the work. Yeah. And the work becomes a labor of love and the labor of love becomes a lifestyle. And this is just how we roll. That's right, dude. No doubt. A thousand percent. <laughs> no doubt. Well, Eben, man, I'm, it's just like, there's so much more I feel like we could dive into as far as your purpose, as far as how you show up, how you serve the, the, the benefits of you doing your practice and how that shows up in the world. And uh, with the part two, we'd love to dive more into that, into what you're doing into uh, what you embody on all the different platforms that uh, that you take the stage on. and uh, But, yeah, man, just for today, I say thank you. I appreciate you for being vulnerable, uh, showing the, the greatest skill that a man could possibly display, in my opinion, uh, that vulnerability. Uh, the way that you stand on the front lines with it is admirable, and uh, I respect you so much, and thank you for your time, bro. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate it so much, Darren. And uh, Donnie, thank you as well. You guys are the best. And we'll definitely do a part two in person. Just let me know. I mean, I'm around, dude. So we'll figure it out. We'll get it done. And I can't thank you guys enough. Yeah, we got to do round two. We'll we'll connect with you to make that happen and try to get a little hang either pre, pre-interview or post-interview in Vegas. And we'll bring a little light to the darkness out there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Thank you, brother. We appreciate you. Yes, sir. Thank you guys. Peace. What's up, Comeback Stories family? It's Donnie dropping in here. So did you know that Darren and I's relationship started by me being his personal development, mindfulness, and mindset coach? I want to let you know about both my one-on-one coaching program, The Shift, and my group mastermind, Elevate Your Purpose. These coaching programs are specifically designed for people who are ready to take the next step in their purpose and level up their career, personal finances, and have more connected, deep, and meaningful relationships. My gift and part of my purpose is to help others take that next step in leveling up their lives so that they can have a greater impact on the lives of others, create success that's sustainable yet evolves and grows, and help build a legacy that will outlive your life. If this is calling you, just go to DonnieStarkins.com and apply for either one of my programs.